Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey, and I am honored today to be talking to my friend and colleague, Scott Black Johnston. Hello, Scott. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. Well, it's a real privilege for us. Do you want to say just a bit about your ministry context? Sure, Mark. I'm currently serving as the senior pastor at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, which is right in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. We are about a 2,100-member church that is quite diverse. We now count in the Presbyterian universe as a multicultural congregation. We're diverse in every way you can imagine in terms of economics, race, perspective. And we are in the heart of a very wealthy strip of stores. If you've been on Fifth Avenue, there are stores right outside my door that I've never stepped foot in because I couldn't afford even like a (laughs) toothpick there. And so that's the context of ministry. Wow. Everybody has an interesting one. That is one. One of the things we talk a lot about is what have been the impacts multiple of the pandemic and all the reactions we've had to make. It's not been all good, but it hasn't been all bad. It's allowed for some innovation and some other things in ministry. Can you just say a word about something that has surprised you in a good way in the last three years, but also note what's been a significant challenge? So my wife and I own a very rustic cabin in northern Minnesota, outside of Ely, Minnesota, on a lake. We were there last summer. I was in the tiny grocery store in this small town, and I hear a voice behind me in the grocery store say, is that my pastor? (laughs) And this woman, a wonderful soul, had started watching our church online and now identifies as a member of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And my ecclesiology is definitely evolving right now, and yeah, I'm not yeah. sure whether I think this is all good or all bad. But there was something wonderful and amazing about that moment, and I just want to celebrate that. Yeah, so. yeah, good. And how about a challenge? Oh, my goodness. Where to begin? Yeah, <laughs> I think, and maybe this is the flip side of that same coin, I think people have just been starved for human contact for those things that we tend within Christian communities to call fellowship, time together, breaking bread, sharing silly stories, dad jokes, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think people have missed that. They've missed human touch. Our homecoming celebration, which was just two weeks ago, there was so much joy in the place because really, I mean, while we've been in person for over a year now, This was really the first one that felt like a pre-pandemic gathering, Mm -hmm. and people were just thrilled to see each other. Yeah, and I would certainly affirm that from my perspective in our network at the Ministry Collaborative. We're just beginning to get 
the first evaluations in of cohorts that have begun to get back in person. And you know, we, like everybody else, we did a lot during the pandemic, a lot of short-term and medium-term online cohorts that were really highly regarded by the people in them. But now the evaluations were off the chart simply because they can be together mm. in the same room, looking at each other in the eye. I think maybe all of us, or at least I know I underestimated the power of that simple act of being together. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time because I deeply admire your ministry, but a, a, re, a good prompt for it was you've just published a book, Elusive Grace, Loving Your Enemies While Striving for God's Justice. It is fantastic. I want to say that. And I'd like to just ask you, I mean, of all the things you could write about, what motivated you to hone in on this? So I would say this, Mark. I think the biggest problem that our society and by extension our churches are grappling with right now is anger, vitriol. And I think the simplest way to put this is all the anger made me want to plunge into trying to understand what resources the Christian tradition has for helping us understand the anger, respond to the anger, not be so angry perhaps, and I can talk more about that later, why I think that's important. Mm -hmm. But really, the place that I came down was trying for myself to re-examine Christian notions of grace and what grace means to us in a moment like this. And I love that. I mean, if the title were simply Loving Your Enemies, honestly, I would have passed right on by. Or if it was just about grace, pass on by. Not that those aren't important, but they're kind of asked and answered multiple times. But when I read the subtitle, Loving Your Enemies While Striving for God's Justice, it does seem to me, as I get around various corners of God's church, that there are true believers who are striving for justice, but with the striving comes a stridency which is locking out others. If that's not your take, that's fine. But can you talk a little bit about that? No, that's absolutely my take and a concern. It's a concern for me personally. In working toward the justice that we believe Jesus Christ lays on us, the challenge that Jesus Christ puts before all the disciples, followers, do we get so strident, so convinced of our own righteousness that we start acting in ways that Jesus Christ would not recognize, endorse. He'd recognize it. He wouldn't endorse it. <laughs> he wouldn't suggest it as a way to emulate the love of God. So how do you hold these difficult things together? A real sense that there are justice issues that we need to be working on in the society and in religious communities and the love and grace of God which has enveloped all of us. It seems to me that one, one of the challenges to this is, going back to the book that was written maybe 10 years ago about the big sort, how we're all grouping ourselves. I'm only listening to people and consuming media and news produced by people who agree with me. What a wonderful world that could be. It strikes me that one of the problems in loving our enemies is we don't really know our enemies. And beyond that, we really don't have a lot of interest in getting to know them. Can you reflect on that based on what you see and and the work of this book? That's a great question, Mark. In 2017, a Brooklyn singer-songwriter named Gabriel Kahane 
in reflecting back on the election of 2016, decided that he didn't understand America anymore. And so he booked himself on an Amtrak train trip across the country. I think he went West Coast to East Coast. And he made sure that he ate every meal. He was traveling alone in the Amtrak dining car. And so he then wrote a song and then an article entitled How the Amtrak Dining Car Can Save the Soul of America. And he described eating with people who he thought that their ideas were politically dangerous. And yet he said everybody, everybody that he ate with in that dining car, whether they agreed with him politically or not, had something about their lives that he found good, appealing, agreeable, that mm -hmm. there was a common foundation. It could be that they cared about their dog. It could be that they were a volunteer in their community working for some good. So he goes from that and says, you know, we are, we do live. You referenced earlier the big sort, how we live in silos. And, you know, basically Kahane is saying, absolutely we do. And part of the solution to all this is to get outside the silos and start seeing each other as human again. We are talking a lot at the Ministry Collaborative in our cohorts that we think one of the things we can encourage as strongly as we can among the pastors and congregations we get to be in conversation with is the churches need to be part of those who are trying to mend or reweave the social fabric. And if we don't do that, then exactly what Jesus are we following? Yet, in most churches that I know right now, politics is upstream of religion and upstream of faith. And therefore, the very social fabric we have to mend has to start with the congregation before we can move out to others. What are you seeing, not just in your setting, but as you dialogue with other ministry leaders? I totally agree with the point you just made. These are the words that I use to express a similar point. I think the meta-narrative in our country, in other words, the controlling narrative through which we view everything is now politics. It's not the Christian story. It's what political side are you on? Because the other side is not only crazy, but probably evil. And that meta-narrative then is brought by people to church, to worship. So what I've taken to saying is, is that a lot of people judge the pastor's sermon based on whether or not it echoes their favorite editorial writer in the past week. Amen. And at the door, you'll get, yes, you got it. You yeah. were right, you know, from the people who think that you yeah. did. And from the people who hate that editorial writer, you'll get the pastor. I don't know when you got <laughs> right. so political. Right. Yeah. And that's the trap that churches have to navigate every single Sunday. So how do you respond to that? I've just taken a hitting that head on by saying, listen, if that's what you come to church expecting, you're going to be disappointed. You should be disappointed. You should be disappointed every Sunday because we're playing a whole different game. Mm. That's football. And if you judge baseball by the rules of football, you're going to think this is crazy. Yeah. The pastor has no idea what she's doing. And what I want people to do is pause and think, wait, 
maybe I've entered into a different conversation here, a whole different set of rules about how life is played. Mm. And more or less, what I'm trying to do is go after the meta narrative mm -hmm. and say, no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the sections in the book, and again, the book is Elusive Grace, Loving Your Enemies While Striving for God's Justice. One of the sections is about retraining our hearts. And you go through several dimensions of that. The question I have, Scott, is that retraining, that seems to me to be, yes, an act of individual effort, but also communal effort. And can you maybe parse that a little bit for us? Yes, I think that's a good point. I'm gonna come at this in a somewhat bizarre way, <laughs> but hang with me here. Oh, you're in just the right place, let me tell you. Gentle <laughs> listeners. There's a story in the New York Times that recounts the role of Russian troll farms in trying to attack and destabilize the women's march movement mm -hmm. that occurred in this country in 2017. So you remember the women's march, which was huge, millions of American women and men marching together, solidarity. There was a lot of joy at it. Both my wife and my daughter attended the New York version of the march. Within weeks after the march, Russian troll factories decided that this was a problem and started attacking leaders in the march on social media. The first person that they attacked was one of the three women leaders who was Muslim. And to drive a wedge between her and Jewish leaders in the movement. And they created scores of falsehoods that they were pumping out into Facebook and whatnot. And by April of 2017, that movement had shattered. It had come apart. Mm -hmm. That to me is demonic. There are demonic forces at work trying to make communities not be unified mm -hmm. around common goals, justice goals, and they will use any little thing that they can find to try to pull us apart. So your question was about community, and I think this is to that point. We have got to ask ourselves, when we're getting so angry, who is our anger benefiting? Because if we can get beyond the anger to actually moving the needle on some of these issues, that's frightening to some of the powers and principalities that are out there. And right now, we are so easily pulled apart and shattered. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It is very weird to think that some guy typing a tweet in a suburb of Moscow is making Americans more angry at each other. But that is happening. Yeah. Anger is often a secondary emotion. And we could spend a whole nother podcast on what are the primary emotions that are leading to the anger. I am struck, as I'm sure you were, that medical authorities in this country in the last couple of weeks have said that every adult in America under 65 needs to be screened for anxiety. And I think the relationship between anxiety and anger, they're very close cousins. How are you addressing the anxiety that I know you're seeing in your ministry and in this culture? So I am trying 
as pastors always like to say, to be that non-anxious presence. (laughs) And it is very difficult when somebody's in your face, and I live in New York, and so we're in each other's face in a heartbeat when we're frustrated or afraid. So our anxiety manifests quickly. So this is going to sound pious and cliched, but prayer, (laughs) meditation, trying to reframe the moment, Have you heard of the cow in the parking lot? This is a really quick story. Somebody whips into a spot that you were waiting for. You had your blinker on, but cuts in in ahead of you. You were clearly there first. You are going to be furious at that person. But if you are about to turn into a parking spot and a cow suddenly steps off the verge and into the parking spot, you're going to think, huh, how strange (laughs) and maybe how wonderful a cow just took my parking spot. So what's the difference mentally in terms of your heart rate and everything with that moment? I try to reframe things in the cow stepped into my parking spot way so that I can be a non-anxious presence and respond with grace and love to what I'm hearing. And usually if I can do that, then the person that I'm in conversation with is given the opportunity to do that too. Wow. That is a great story. Thank you, Scott. You've offered so much here. And again, I can't commend the book you've just written heartily enough. And the stories and the way you weave it together is really, to me, luminous and exciting. So I hope people will pick it up. What is a scripture that is sustaining you in these days? Well, it's a tried and true one. It's Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ. No, not this, not that, not the other thing. I give thanks that Christ's love continues to cling to us despite the mess that we're in. Mm -hmm. And that is a touchstone for me every day. Thanks. Well, and you've said a couple of times here toward the end, this is obvious or this is tried and true. I actually think we're in a season where we sort of need to return to home base theologically, as it were. I'm all for innovation. And a lot of what we talk about in our network is innovation. But there's a lot of, in times of stress, chasing after shiny things. And those shiny things don't give us anything. So thank you, actually, for returning us to home base with a lot of what you said. Amen to that. The shiny thing's coming. It's right on target, Mark. It's just a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.